You're listening to the Limitless Career Podcast, the show where you hear the how, why, and what of creating limitless careers with me, Just Jazz. I'm a multi-passionate, wildly ambitious lover of tea and r and I'm also on a mission to guide more high achievers to the careers and lives they deeply desire through coaching. Yeah, you heard me, desire. No shame or secrets about it. Here, we boldly embrace ambition by owning, being, and doing more in our careers. And in each episode, we break down the barriers to creating something that will make you and everyone you know step back in awe while keeping it simple. So what are you waiting for? Let's dive into the episode. Okay, welcome to this week's episode of the Limitless Career Podcast. And today I'm excited to have guests again, plural again. Uh, These are the conversations where I sit down with different folks so we can get different perspectives on hot topics around career, the way of work, the world of work and everything in between. And today this is a particularly interesting, nuanced conversation, not that any of the others aren't, but we're going to be talking about this whole idea of inclusive by design and really explore what it means to foster inclusion in our business. So my two guests are actually entrepreneurs, but also in our workplaces. So they weren't, they didn't come out of the womb as entrepreneurs. Um, So they also have a lot of perspective from that point of view as well. We're going to get under the hood of what it actually means, what it looks like, because I believe this is a conversation that we need to have to make it more practical and tangible for us each to choose to work in an inclusive way, be empathetic and understanding, and then therefore championing and allying, I just made that word up, to inclusive ways of working because we see what it looks like and we're not intellectualizing it. We're making it a very lived thing. We're making it conversational. We're making it um, a way of being in a little bit more natural. That's kind of like my vision for all of this. And those of you who have actually worked with me or come to workshops, you know that I'm not afraid to talk about how diversity, inclusion, equity, equality, all those fun words really play into some of the career topics that I help people with. So I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to say hi to Jess Bruno and Debbie Danon. And we're going to kick off by me asking Debbie to introduce herself to you, our listeners, and a little bit of how this topic sort of shows up for her. Oh, thank you for having me, Jazz, and lovely to be here with you too, Jess. My name's Debbie Danon, and what to say, I am a certified integral development coach, which is actually all about including your whole self. So um, that's kind of the inner work that I'm really interested in is how um, when we have internalized so many messages about how we need to be in the world, an unequal world, which we will totally get into, um, how can we um, reappropriate and re-include those parts of ourselves that have been left out? So I'm super interested in that and I help my clients to do that. I am also an expert facilitator and one of my favorite things to do is to name and tame the elephant in the room. So I work a lot with uh, mission-driven businesses, NGOs, uh, organizations that are really serious about uh, building a, a business based on values, but maybe don't quite know how to do that when push comes to shove or when um, the poor poor hits the fan, as my friend likes to say. So I quite like to um, get in there, ask a ton of questions, be super curious and be unshockable. I think being unshockable is something that I try to live by, which is um, not when I feel shocked at something or I feel surprised um, to to really get curious about it. And my background in inclusion, I am in my working life. I actually started out in an an interfaith organization, interfaith and anti-racism organization, designing programs to bring together young people from single faith schools and environments to be able to experience each other and understand a little bit more about each other and build relationships and build projects together and actually um we didn't have a lot of the language that we do now um about uh, privilege and about uh, power dynamics and a lot of that in that space and now it's really interesting to see that that space kind of moving more into um understanding those kind of power analyses but um at the time um i learned a great deal about um my own privilege my own prejudices in without having the language for it and when the language came up I was like oh that's what that is um and then um after spending some years in corporate 
I set up my own business and um, my previous business to this was actually a partnership business with a Muslim colleague. I'm Jewish, she's Muslim, I'm Turkish, she's uh, Pakistani Kashmiri. And um, together we had a business called Trust Lab, which was all about designing diversity and inclusion strategies from end to end. Um, and I don't do that anymore because I um, I think it was like, it was a time, like it was really, really enriching time. We learned a lot, um, but I don't feel like I actually have everything that's needed to see a DEI um, piece with integrity through um, to the end result. Um, but um, I do have partners that I refer people to and I'm, I'm very transparent about what I can contribute to in this space and what what I'd rather leave to other experts. Um, but I'm really, really passionate about this space. I'm a super curious person. So I just get very interested in whatever, um, if you know Clifton strengths, one of my key strengths is input. Um, it's number two. So I'm like, ooh, yummy information and also people. I'm just fascinated by people. So um, that's a little bit about me. And um, yeah, I'm delighted, delighted to be here today amazing so happy to have you can't wait to dive a little bit deeper into some of the things that you said over to you Jess who are you what do you get up to (laughs) (laughs) I am Jess I am a social media strategist and coach and I work with small creative brands and personal brands and teach them how to show up sustainably online my whole thing has is sustainability it has been I'd say I've been focusing on it for the last like eight months because I have multiple chronic illnesses um the reason I went self-employed is because of my health I was pre-pandemic I was I quit my really cool job that I was really high up in because I was too ill I didn't and my I didn't realize at the time but my like employers weren't going to or didn't have the knowledge to look after me properly there and I didn't know how to ask for it they didn't know how to give it we just knew that I was sick all the time and we are, it wasn't working so I just had to leave in the end um I went self-employed so I wouldn't have to ever call in sick to work again because that was becoming crippling um just as bad as the sickness <laughs> and so now I have this focus on sustainability because I know that stress is my biggest uh, trigger when it comes to work and a lot of my clients that come in are really stressed out with social media so I teach them how to grow their business without having to burn out or post every single day it's all about simple sustainable steps that get you from A to B Um, by being really open on my platform about my chronic illness I happen to bring in a lot of clients who also have chronic illnesses, but we don't sit and talk about our gut health. We sit and talk about how to grow their business. So, yeah, I think my personal journey with, I've never really known how to talk about this or it's always been quite like weird to talk about, but I look very different to what my actual heritage is and I've experienced a lot not a lot I've experienced racism in my life but I've never felt open or in a place where I could actually talk about it with anyone because I'm white like I mean I am white but it still hurts when someone is spitting at you and calling you a packy out of their hand like and I feel bad for feeling a kind of way about it you know and is that Yeah. So it's just like a, I, I like to have this conversation and I've never really spoken about that kind of stuff before. So yeah, a bit of word from yeah. there. But. <laughs> no, but this is important. And I kind of, if you feel comfortable to share, because we had this conversation as well. And then also following that, I've also observed moments where you've invited people in a safe space, you've invited people to guess what your heritage could be. And it is so far from what it is. So if you feel comfortable sharing with us, what is your heritage? Yeah, for sure. So on my mum's side, I'm Ashkenazi Jewish, so Polish-Russian side. And on my dad's side, I'm half Venetian from Italy and half Sicilian. So that's my actual blood heritage. Mm. Yeah. And for those that are listening, I have observed Jess get assumed that she's Southeast Asian many, many times. Many times. I was I was contacted by a really popular radio station, Asian radio station, to be featured on there. And I had to be like, 
I would love to, but like, I just need to tell you something before. <laughs> and I, it's absolutely fine. You know, it's about my business coming on to talk about how I've hustled my way up. And I was like, and I completely understand if I'm not what you're looking for, but thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I think that's a good starting place for our conversation, though. Because I think it speaks volumes to the assumptions that we make about each other. And then we treat each other from that assumption. And in many ways that then removes the oxygen from the room for you to actually articulate what it is. And again, innocent meaning, right? That outreach about that radio show, innocent meaning. They're like, oh my gosh, another Asian woman we can give a platform to. And you're just like, I can refer you to some that I know but I don't think it's me you want. Um, and I find that that is just so, so, so interesting. Um, and in many ways, again, we see in the research, you know, we use stereotypes, we take those mental shortcuts, we kind of go one plus one equals two, or, you know, I've met somebody from that culture, so you must be like that person. There's a lot of the way that we're wired that ultimately just becomes problematic. It doesn't create space for that person to show up as who they are. Um, and I think that's something that brings me back to what you were saying, Debbie, about that whole, whole self. Is that something that you see in your work? You know, people not realising where they've taken the oxygen out of the room or where they've made those assumptions and made decisions from that? Totally, totally. And Jess, I really, I'm so glad we got we got straight into it, into the identity <laughs> stuff, because it is... Um, it is ambiguous and um just to add, add to this before I get into it like my I I'm somewhat ethnic, ethnically ambiguous usually read as white but then there's some mm. question in the air but then when I'm with my partner who is also could be technically white but is I guess of Iraqi Indian heritage so really mixed looking he can sometimes be read as brown and then like we we get treated differently together it's a very strange mm. thing of like walking in the world on my own and walking in the world with him so um and hearing about the things that he goes through so yeah I just really want to like thank you for naming this thing of like ethnic ambiguity that kind of when we start talking about you know all these labels of like black Asian you know these these <laughs> bucket terms which don't really serve like BAME you know we can actually get into a lot of trouble because we don't actually account for that whole person um element so yeah Jess, jazz i totally do see this and i see it from both sides in that um in the in the sense that you said you know people telling me a story about how they engage with something and not really understanding the harm that they've done and being mm. in that delicate position of un, of trying to presence the fact that intention and impact can sometimes not be the same that sometimes we can intend all the very best of including people and actually um, the impact is something different and all that's needed in that moment is to hold space if they have a shame response they're like oh god no I'm a horrible person or they get defensive to hold space for that shame and that guilt to show up in the way that it does and then to almost reveal the mechanism that's happening and mm. and if we can stay with it long enough to say well all that's really needed is to take accountability and accountability is aligning our intention and our impact and it's really it's actually weirdly it's very emotional it's very heated sometimes but it can be really simple to go do you know what I missed the mark and it's not about me being a good or a bad person it's not about me being competent or incompetent I missed the mark so let's take the sting out of this but let me now do better so I think there's a lot um in the inclusion space of approaches uh that that shame and I think there is certainly a place and I'm not going to tell anyone that they don't have a place to do this to to call things out and not to not to edit themselves in that way but my role in the space I think we've got to have like different strengths and different roles in the space is you know in the privacy of a one-to-one -one coaching space or even sometimes in a, an intimate group setting to be able to name some of these dynamics like you did jazz and said like you know there's these mental shortcuts or there's these, these this somatic response that happens in the body you get hot and flushed and you want to defend yourself and actually there's a way through. Um, and the other way that I see it is um, people coming into my sessions who have, uh, who, who are from marginalized identities, who are telling me like, I can't really operate because I'm just really overwhelmed. And when we pick apart, actually a lot of the overwhelm is not to do with the content of the work, but the way that they're being treated and actually the way they're compartmentalizing the harm and the pain that they're going through. Whether, and Jess, you, you, you talked about it um, for yourself, your own experience, but 
some of my clients, for example, you know, navigating micro or even macro aggressions. Um, some of my clients um, literally um, not finding motivation um, because they've realized that um, uh, as a woman, a male colleague is in the same role as being paid more than they are. Um, and, you know, basically like, it took a while to get to why do I not care about my work right now? Actually, that was really one of the core pieces. So um, in both cases, something that I use in my work is um, this, this idea of a hiss, which, I, which um, is part of my rebel leadership framework, which is a harmful internalized standard or story. And that harm can be uh, the internalized bit is because it comes from society. It comes from the outside and we've internalized it. And the harm can be to ourselves when we exclude parts of ourselves can also be to others when we project that on them for those exact reasons that you say jazz where we make those mental shortcuts or we think that it's the right thing to do um but what i really want to emphasize maybe this is the last thing i'll say for now is um when i'm working with people i'm always saying that this is this is a journey this isn't like a place that you get to where you get your badge and you say like i'm an inclusive person now it's just something that we've got to we've got to keep um learning and trying and it's much better to be in action and um and putting our learnings into practice and maybe getting it wrong, but holding our hands up than it is to stand on the sidelines and say it's someone else's job. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a proactive thing. And definitely I see a lot of the shame that then becomes a blocker towards the outcome that everybody actually wants. Shame will stop you from having the conversation. Shame on one side would stop you from correcting someone and on the side, the other side, stop that person from having that learning opportunity. Um, in many, many ways, it then becomes a shame itself when shame kind of creeps up and gets in the way and we start shooting ourselves. But also, like, when we think about it, when I think about it for me personally, when I'm carrying that emotional labour of pretending to be something that I'm not, code switching, editing myself, um, not speaking when I want to, not contributing in the way that I want to, that takes away from the energy that I have to do the job. Right. So that whole element of pretending to be fine means that I show up as half of me rather than me saying, you know what? I'm actually not fine. Right. I'm not fine. Right. Depression just took over the day and I just need to take the day back. And I think creating space for that is important because I think we're wired and we're trained and we're socialized to believe that you just push through. Like you treat mental illness, physical illness, like everything gets treated like it's a cold or it's like it's hay fever. Ah, oh, pop a pill, crack on. Crack on, crack on. Even just the phrase. <laughs> so many people have internalized it. That, that's my paradigm. Why can't you book a day off? I've jumped on a Zoom call with somebody and they're, and I'm like, how are you? It's just like, oh, not too great. Uh, got COVID. Why are we talking right now? <laughs> literally go home go to bed like, get off this call it's just really not important but it's like well I'm alright I'm alright I, I just want to crack on i.e. I don't feel like I have the space and whether it and the way that you described it Jess actually is important like it's the it's the being able to ask for it, but also understanding, could they handle it if I ask for it? Mm. Is there anything in place to catch me if I decide to jump off this cliff of vulnerability? Uh, will it change how they then perceive me going forward? There's so many mental calculations around inclusion and around, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it, it's putting yourself first. Because what happens when this happens is you go, well, it's only me that feels this way. I'm the only person that struggles with this. So let me not make it their problem. As opposed to saying, you know what, what's best for me right now, which in turn, you know, if you do the work, you do the, you know, you recognize that that's in turn best for everybody <laughs> is for me to make the decision to say, do you know what I'm actually going to take today off? I'm not going to show up with half of myself, exhaust myself. And ultimately in a physical sense, make it take longer in the long run for me to get better. Yeah. bravery value thoughts beliefs that we have can stop us from making each of those decisions so so often we talk about when it comes to inclusion we talk about being inclusive to others but are we being that way for ourselves do we give ourselves that grace jess i'd love to hear from you on your journey because you mentioned like the past eight months that's a sustainability piece really being just like key for you and as well we've known each other for a little while 
me also watching you be more transparent about what goes on success over here you you hot water bottle over here like <laughs> you can use my code jessica 10 for <laughs> set off any you bottle we will put the link in the show now <laughs> i need to get in on this no i say it jokingly but it's an amazing invention and actually the first person that told me about it was a friend that i have um that lives with endometriosis it's so changed my relationship with pain. Chronic. It's pain. so good. And we're going to share them today. They're amazing. <laughs> and you can freeze. They can be cold or hot. <laughs> <laughs> Taking um, notes. Taking notes. I think when I was employed and I was sick, the lot, I just didn't want to be a burden. Hmm. And I, I can't, like, I would go in so ill but this was also a point where I'd uh taught my I was self-medicating with a lot of codeine like a lot of codeine I'm sober now but to get through a work day like every single day I'd have to have two codeine in the morning two in the afternoon and two right at the end of the shift just so I wouldn't be telling anyone like how in pain I was and I wouldn't be like going to the toilet all day because they like locked you off a bit I've got Crohn's. <laughs> By the way, if anyone listening, like, why? I've got Crohn's disease. You go to the toilet a lot, or I do anyway. And, like, I remember saying to my boss once, because sitting on, I'm okay now, but sitting on chairs for a while was really hard for me because I had um, a fistula, a really cute fistula in my butt. <laughs> I was like, um, I'm finding it really difficult to sit down in the office. Can I get a yoga ball? sit on and that was kind of like laughed off and then it got to and then I was like okay no, no it's fine it's fine and he was like what do you want me to send an email to everyone seeing if they don't mind if you have a yoga ball and I was like no it's fine it's fine I don't need it I don't need it um I lived but it was just I was getting so unhealthy my body was crying for me to stop taking all these pills just to not be sick masking it whilst my disease was getting worse and it got to the point where I just had to say I'm done. I'm like, I don't know what to ask of you, and I don't know what you can give me so I can stay in this environment. Like, I really did like my job. In fact, I loved it. I was really good at it, and I was making them heaps of money. But I couldn't. I wasn't. I felt too sick to do it, and that's such a shame for anybody in any position to feel too sick to do something. I want us all to feel like we have the ability, and it's just. I was too scared to call in sick. I was too scared to say I need time off because I knew how replaceable I was, really. I really was. So I just, I ended up leaving and that's it. I kind of cut my ties there. Now, sustainability is so important to me in my own business because I never want to make my clients feel, they can't say, Jess, I'm not feeling very well. I can't do it. I said, if ever a client doesn't feel well, they can tell me last minute, absolutely fine. No skin off my back. If they need a week off, we continue a week after the contract has ended. I push things forward. I'm very flexible in my own business when it comes to life getting in the way, being sick, needing a mental health break or any, any kind of break you need. But I ask for it in return because my body is like that. So... If I'm giving you this grace, please give me this grace. And I promise you it's never affected any of my clients' like growth or anything like that. In fact, they're all doing wonderfully. Um, yeah. Oh, there's so much that I want to go into. I'm going to start at the place of the stigma and the bias that says if you have an illness or a disability, you're somehow less committed and less capable and less competent. But I think that, like, I really, not not now, but I really think that I am less, I am, I can't do the things they can do because I can't. So I'm less Mm. than, must be. Yeah. And that, when you said that, I, 
it connects me to something that I have had to unlock so much as an entrepreneur that is wired into you as an employee. And actually, thankfully, to a certain extent, I work for an employer that doesn't feel that way. Yes, I have set hours. I can contractually show up and deliver that out, those hours. But my value isn't attached and my impact isn't attached to the hours that I'm on a seat. My team know if I'm in the zone, I can get more done in two hours than I would on another day and eight. And when you become an entrepreneur, that also is the case. You start to realize that actually the day after I take a long weekend, oh my gosh, I'm on fire. I've got so many ideas, so much insight, so much to bring and pour into my clients and support them with. That has nothing to do with the fact that on that day that I'm doing all that outpouring, I did three hours of work and that's okay. And my invoice is going to stay the same. And the package is the same. And the package, in fact, doesn't even need to tell you how many hours that we're going to talk to each other. And we're going to talk to each other on every Tuesday at 10 a.m. And we're going to do all these things again. And this is what I meant when I said, I want us to be wary. I want us to be cognizant of the ways that we then step into entrepreneurship and we lift the patriarchal, old school, non-inclusive ways of working into our business in the name of professionalism, in the name of commitment. Because commitment there looks like being the person who's first in and last out. Commitment there looks like the person who, um, you know, and those of you who are listening can't see, both of the ladies are shaking their heads like, eh, eh. you know, commitment, again, staying with the old school patriarchal definition, that looks like you're staying in a job for 20 years. That is my nightmare. Full body no to that, right? Somebody else made up those rules. They don't suit my business, but yet I try and crunch myself into them, into the name of professionalism. And this is what you do. Who said? Who said? I say that's my biggest challenge to entrepreneurs, but also people in their way of work. When you doubt, oh, I can't take a sick day. Who said? Because if there's genuinely a policy, we can we can have a look at that policy. And if it is also, again, like you said, it's genuinely a thought process for you, that's an area where you can you can work on in your own time, right? You can then start to understand, okay, these thoughts are coming up for me. Are they true? Are they serving me? Is there something in my environment? Is there something that anyone said that's approved that? Or is there anything that goes against the grain? Do I just need to work again, you know, around understanding if I'm safe to do that? Is it a safety thing? Um or have I turned my current manager into my old manager? And I think they're going to laugh at me, right? Is it a me thing? Or again, is it the environment? Is everything implicitly telling me that this is not okay? There's so much that it's like, again, who said and why? And who does this rule serve? No one? So why is it there? Because we all want to be able to take a mental half day. We all want to be able to take maternity leave. Heck, I um, the episode before, one of the guests was talking about taking part-time hours. And when she did it, it broke people's brains because they were like, I didn't know you could request that if you didn't have kids. Is this, is this, is this genuinely a rule? <laughs> or is it not? Is it something that we can challenge and we can look at and we can investigate a little bit more? Yeah, on the, on the topic of, of kids, actually... Um, and, and maternity and fertility, like listening to you, Jess, I mean, I can just, yeah, feel a real like sort of tightening in my chest of just thinking of the pain that you were in and just knowing that there's people out there who, who are pushing themselves. And I know that um, when I was um, I was trying for a baby, um, I had two instances of baby loss. One was a miscarriage and one was a later term loss. Um, and, um, one of them was when I was employed and one of them was when I was self-employed. So, um, when I was employed, um, I was employed by a very small organization. There were only three of us and I was the director of education. So, you know, with all the expectations I was putting on myself and I was also recovering from a really, um, kind of toxic experience in a previous role. So I was really putting the pressure on myself. And when, I was off work for, I think, almost a month because I had a really complex situation. Um, it was not a kind of people are like, oh, yeah, you go and you have a procedure. Um, 
but there was there were some complications. So uh, I've never felt more tired in my life, and I've never felt more grief stricken in my life. Like I was just not functioning, and I felt such guilt at that time of like feeling like I needed to be somewhere. And um, and I've heard since because I do a lot of um, speaking out about um, baby loss and particularly about fertility journeys um, and work and grief at work as well generally. And I just hear people say like I had a miscarriage on the Wednesday and I was back at work on the Monday and I'm like what like how is this humane it's actually inhumane and I just keep coming back to jazz you're saying about you know who this who these professionals and roles were written for and by let's be real it was made for for and by white cis het men without caring with without caring responsibilities who did not have um disabilities or chronic health issues right like this is like it was and 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 even then, there were so many people in the workforce who were not that, but were hiding it, even amongst that, you know, supposed people who could pass for white cis het man with all those things. So there's such um, there's such an interrogation. And when, when this, the second time came around, um, I was really had done a lot of the mental health work um, around it. And it was a late term loss. And it was uh, I was completely devastated. And I got into magical thinking of like, this is never going to happen for me. But I was working with Yasmin, and she was so good at holding the space for me for like, being like, you do not need to set a foot, even like towards your notebook, until you are ready. And like, she was absolutely clear that she was like, if you're not going to hold that space for you, I will. And I will forever be grateful to her for that because it's you can draw a direct line between the space that I took for myself. I used to go to therapy in the morning and sleep the rest of the day. I used to like get a news that a friend was pregnant and I'd be destroyed and I'd have to cancel all client sessions. Done. Like like a Jenga tower. And I can draw a direct line between the experiences that I had there where I realized, oh, I can actually, I can actually run a business on like two days a week. I can do that. And I, and as you said, Jazz, like I am very capable when I'm in the zone and then I can just like, let it be. There's a direct line with my, um, I set up, um, a Facebook community last year called permission o'clock, which is exactly this. It's like, all right, if you can't give yourself permission, then let us give you permission. (laughs) So you can go in there and be like, okay, I'm having a meltdown. It's not happening for me today. And I don't really know why. And then you've got a whole bunch of people to be like, permission o'clock, permission to, you know, to email your boss and say no, permission to, you know, go for a walk, permission to have a drink, like all those things. And I, I share my poetry in there as well that I write about this. And it's, I guess there's, um, my baby loss counselor said this to me and it's such a, it's not the same as things happen for a reason, which is obviously, um, rubbish, but, um, it, she did say, you know, there are treasures in the ashes. And I think, um, I think one of the treasures in the ashes of my experience of, um, that recovery, like just how debilitating that recovery was, is a like empathy for people who don't just go through for that for a period, but that is like life. That is, you know, that is the real, real lived experience. And also um, the permission that I now know to give myself and the fact that I know that, um, as, as we said, I've severed the tie, more, more or less, I sometimes get sucked in, but it's more or less between the idea of hours and productivity and my, my worth. Like that is, I, I think that that broke it for me, even though it was the most searing and painful experience. Um, and now that I've got my daughter, Essie, um, my husband and I, he runs a business as well, his own business. We do nine days every two weeks. So every Monday, every other Monday, we have her. So we each get a long weekend, two long weekends with her a month. And that really works for us in terms of like part-timing and also getting to get stuck in our businesses and having really good quality time with her. And I'm just so grateful every day that I get to make that choice. And I know so many people don't have that. I love it. This week's podcast is sponsored by Ambitious Career Strategy, the six-week group program that shows you how to turn every career lemon into the juiciest lemonade. Learn to own your impact, show up authentically and get stuff done to reach your career goals. This is the program designed to stay with you beyond the six weeks and give you a plan that fits like Cinderella's slipper. Go to justjazz.co forward slash career dash strategy to join the next cohort. When I reached out to you both, I titled this episode Inclusive by Design and design is around being intentional with it. And I think that's one thing that I am always intrigued by anytime I see somebody going against the grain and saying, you know, like you said, Jess, look, 
they can they can cancel last minute. They can put themselves first in that moment. And I expect the same in return. It always excites me because even though I may not know the story behind it, I know that there is one. And that means that there's a ton of intention there. That means that it holds weight. Um, and it exemplifies, exemplifies to everyone else that you can do that. <laughs> like you said, your clients didn't miss out on revenue. Their sales didn't lump. You didn't lose clients. Like, <laughs> the world did not fall apart when we were being inclusive by design to ourselves and our colleagues and clients. Does anyone ever find it weird, though? I guess that's my question for both of you. Do you ever still kind of come against people who are like, mm, are you sure? It's people who are on the, you have to work 40 hours a week. Hmm. It's that kind of, I'm all about loyalty, but the professional loyalty, I don't know, it's something <laughs> different about it. So I mean, like we're a family, that vibe, that mm. work family vibe, I found a bit of pushback on some of my methods and it's mainly been from agencies and corporate side of stuff when I'm working with my and hopefully by the end of the year I'm going to be much more focused on just my one-to-ones I've just got on my own display actually it's going to help me for the next six months um mm. transition there but I, I have felt pushback from like corporate about my yeah. methods yeah I just don't want to work with them anymore. <laughs> well, well, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you know, you don't get my magic if you don't like my methods, right? Like, mm. um, and I, I really, I really appreciate that, Jess, because I think I'm going to wager that they are, that, that something in them is triggered about like, oh, mm. if you can, like something about my whole structure of interpretation of the world will collapse if you tell me that, you can do this on less hours because my whole world, my whole business, my whole organization, my whole everything is structured around that. And if you take that bottom block of the Jenga away, oh, so I mm. think that there is a sense in which like this, um, there's a great, this actually I've got it right here. This great book called Difficult Conversations. And it talks about how um, it's by um, Douglas Stone, Bruce Patton and Sheila Heen of Harvard Negotiation Project. And they talk about how there's a, there's um I wonder about this in the context of your example, Jess, because when you say this is my hours, this is how it's going to get done, and the corporate client, someone is saying like, "Wait, what? Like, <laughs> you can't be serious. I don't take you seriously, right?" Which goes into the less than. Actually, there's a what happened in that, which is you gave them, you told them some information. They had some feelings about it, and then they internalized it to be part of their identity. As in, you are telling me I am either. There's three things they talk about with identity. It's less um, competent, less of a good person, or less worthy of love. And they've somehow made it about them. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying it always is, but I, I'm going to wager that there's something going on around that. And of course, that bit triggers whole feelings of shame, which then becomes about, oh, well, you must be the problem then, Jess, not us. But actually, if we can hold the space to like really interrogate what it is that gets us incensed about other people's needs, probably it's about the fact that we're not giving ourselves the chance for those needs to be met or that we fear that if we allow those needs to be met, certain things that we hold, we, we held to be true would not be true anymore. Oh my gosh, 100%. All of that is what came to mind as you were explaining that, Jess. It's almost like a, how dare you live your life free as a bird? How dare you be this empowered? How dare you have boundaries? I don't have those. I don't live in a universe where those are allowed. <laughs> what? <laughs> and there's so many other instances where we... <laughs> <laughs> we can trigger people. We can trigger people because this isn't because this isn't the norm, right? We're having this conversation because we want it to be the norm to be like, oh, cool, cool, you know. And we end up in a conversation exchanging all the empowered and boundaryful and sustainable decisions that they've made, but we're not there yet. So we're kind of the uh, the outliers. People don't like what they don't understand. Yeah, and that's why a community becomes super important for I think for people who are trying to set these um, countercultural boundaries, countercultural requests. I think 
I found it so much easier knowing I have co-conspirators who will support me and just Mm. like testing it out or hearing them say out loud, oh yeah, I'm going to take Friday afternoon off actually because no reason, (laughs) you know? I'm like, oh, cool. If you do that, I can give myself permission. So there's something about living our permissions out loud and I'm really inspired to hear you say that, Jess, that you've been like on a journey of being more open about it, which just you do not know. You, You will never know how much permission you've given other people by doing that. It's really amazing. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I concur. Love it. Love to see it. All the things. I guess on that note, are there any other things that either of you are doing that can really inspire our listeners to just think about ways of being or ways of working differently and more inclusively and sustainably? I think something that we've all done, and I'm definitely still working on, is severing tie between hours and delivery. So mm. I know that was so difficult for me to do. And Debbie, you said how hard it was for you to do as well. And Jazz, I'm guessing the same for you. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't even know how you would do it. I can't explain how I did it. It's still a journey for me. But differentiating the hours you have to work compared to the, the delivery you have to give to a client or a boss internally can make a really big shift in your business made a huge shift for me I don't know girls do you have any advice on how to do that Mm. I think for me a lot of it of it has been because I can't hear myself (laughs) unless I'm like going deep and self-coaching so a lot of it has been around actually speaking to my clients speaking to my colleagues, asking them for feedback. So essentially asking them to hold up the mirror as to what they think I did really well, where they think I shine, where they've seen me in my element. Because more often than not, when they articulate what those moments were, it's nothing to do with the amount of hours. Actually, quite to the contrary, like it's it's the thing that in my head, I'm like, that's what blew you. I didn't even prepare. I didn't even know they were going to ask me that. Okay, cool. Oh, I wrote that in 30 minutes. Right. And I think for me, this is a huge thing. This is something I work on with my clients, but something I kind of cemented for myself a couple of years back is allowing myself to be talented. Allowing myself to find things easy. Like, I'm just say it how it is, right? To not overthink because I'm distrusting of the ease that a task came with. And also then looking for models of that, looking for, again, other people who are living out loud in that way to say, I am good at this thing. So it flows naturally from me. And there is no shame in that. I don't feel like I skipped out on sections of the homework. It just is what it is. This is an area of strength for me. This is an area of talent for me. And I don't say this to make you feel bad if you don't feel that way about it. I say this to encourage you to find your own space of gifted and talentedness. Because we beat ourselves up for what is actually just talent. Because we're told, like when I think about education, I remember in primary school, you get, a, you get a grade for achievement and a grade for effort. And that always intrigues me when I think about it, because I'm like, okay, there were some things where you gave me a high grade for effort, but it was really easy. Or my effort was a five, but my achievement was a two. So then that made me still inherently feel like, well, I need to put even more effort to achieve. Um, And this also comes up in work with clients around imposter syndrome. All the workshops I do around imposter syndrome, when we unpack some of the personas, there's an underlying feeling of shame and a feeling of unsafety when something requires effort or there's risk of failing or risk of getting it wrong. And I think that that can be really, really huge when we start to realise that the formula isn't one plus one equals two all the time. And also that we don't want it to be. Our job as entrepreneurs is to keep on pushing for those new formulas, those new algorithms, those new frameworks, not just like copying and pasting from somewhere else. So I think that's been the journey that I kind of went on with it, was getting, getting the clients to hold up the mirror was the most powerful one. Because I was like, wow, everything that I just spent a whole weekend working on, you didn't even open it. Like, you didn't open the email, you didn't open the file, (laughs) you didn't watch the video, you didn't. (laughs) And it's like, wait, this is not why they work with you. It's something more inherent, it's something more innate, and that's okay. 
again going back to what you said Debbie like permission permission and then just always reminding myself I've got that permission I have permission to be talented yeah what about you Debbie on that I love it permission to be talented that's going I'm going to put that in permission o'clock today that is the permission of the day is permission to be just that hot at what you do um so and also hot you know um but I think there's there's so much in what you said Jazz I think um you know, I, I coach a lot with around strengths, exactly this. And we're, we're told from a young age that we also have to be good at everything. Like there's this well-rounded individual myth that happens. And that happened, that gets carried into work where it's like, oh, you're not so good on the budgets, but you're like ace at facilitating, you're ace at leading meetings, you're ace at um, you know, delivering reports. But, you know, this other thing that you're not so good at, that's the thing that we have to work on. But they don't actually then break down like how you could use your paint palette of strengths to get better at that or... Maybe that's not something for you to do and it's an actual waste of resources and time <laughs> to get you to do that. So there is this myth that is, again, like built into our systems. And um, I've definitely realized that um, I have an anxiety pattern around like leading up to a big session or, a, you know, a series of sessions that um, I've learned to recognize as like not 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 fear to be worried about as in that doesn't mean to over prepare it just means like it's it's a natural pattern that happens and when I show up I will trust my instincts because what they're paying for is my instincts in that room not 10 hours of reading or like designing a program like and and I think flexibility and flow you know we haven't used the word flow but I think that a lot of what you've both described to me you know, like like really speaks of flow of like having the flexibility to go where your energy is this afternoon full disclosure I had a nap right before we had our chat um I was I had a I nap and then a co <laughs> and a nap I had a nap and then a, like it was a 40 minute nap and then a um a, like co-working call which I know keeps me accountable which like again mm. it was like moving into a different space and a conducive space and then having that sense of like okay, I've got, I've got the freedom. So I think um, building freedom and flow into both my facilitation and coaching work and trusting myself in the moment, trusting my instincts. And instead of preparing, like, you know, it's more like actually spending time, like I said, with my input strength, like spending time in my park cafe, like reading a book that I find really interesting, which is going to help me hone my instincts, not in a direct way, but in an indirect way, which feels so much yummier and more nourishing than like, let me really study this session plan and let me get it all like lined up minute by minute because we all know it don't go that way so um <laughs> so yeah I'm really vibing with what we're both saying about like it totally is a journey because we're also don't forget internalizing all the time and living all the time around and in interacting with these systems that uphold these things so um and and actually maybe that the the other piece is around practices so like having practices habits routines really helps me so every day I know I start with my day with qigong some movement we did something together last week um mm -hmm. when we were in the space together um I do uh five rhythms dancing so I'll put some music on and I will just dance it out in the mornings or I will walk to my partner to the station um and I know that that gives me energy to do what I need to do and it also like grounds me in my own ability to choose like it's not no one's telling me I have to do it I'm choosing it um, which then grounds me in choice and permission for the rest of the day. Um, and yeah, the, the, the more relational practices like setting boundaries and making requests, which are practices, like you just got to keep track plugging away at them and eventually they become easier. But like anything, when we start out, they're really clunky and hard. So, um, yeah, I think leaning into strengths, like making space for flow and, uh, and developing practices that, um, and sticking with them and, and seeing how, you might get better at them to facilitate. And that's what I offer my clients to is like, is insights into their strengths and, and practices for them to build a certain muscle of permission or of confidence or whatever it might be. So yeah, thanks for this question. It's so juicy. I love it. Mm, great question, Jess. Thank you so much. So before we leave, magic wand, if you could like implant a thought or an idea to everybody on this planet, around sustainability, around inclusion, what would it be? And I'll start with you, Jess. I think it's okay to set boundaries. Simple. Mm. It's okay. You can. 
no one's going to judge you for it. Well, and also, the other people don't judge people for setting boundaries. (laughs) (laughs) Two ways. (laughs) (sighs) What about you, Debbie? So I loved your permission to be talented. I think that was gold. (laughs) But I think I'm going to go with something around kind of like what Jess said about yeah the other people shouldn't judge I think there's something too then about how can I become a safe person so how can I be a safe place for myself when I have needs that arise that I don't Mm. judge myself and shame myself and how can I be a safe person for others how can I receive their request without dismissing it without you know being (laughs) noticing my own triggers but how can Mm. I receive that request and honor it even if I'm not able to fulfill on it in the end, can I honour where it's coming from? So how yeah. can I, how can we become safe people for ourselves and others? Beautiful. All right. Where can people find you both and see you live out these intentional ways of being? Jess? <laughs> so you can follow me on Instagram. I'm on all the other platforms too, and you can find that through Instagram. It's just my name, Jessica.Sophia.Bruno. Awesome. Debbie. That's awesome. So uh, you can find me three different places. You can find me on LinkedIn, Debbie Danon. You can look me up, D-A-N-O-N. You can also check out uh, Permission O'Clock, which is my Facebook group. So you can check out just if you type permission o'clock into Facebook, it will bring you there. And um, if you are someone who struggles to give yourself permission, then you can get some poetic and uh, like communal inspiration to give yourself more permission day by day. And the third place you can find me, which I haven't actually mentioned today, but is possibly the place where you can do this maybe the most deeply is something called Coven, C-O-V-N. And you can find us at covencovncollective.com. And we are a collective of women and femme identifying people who are uh, trying to imagine what it would be like to live in a world that's post all of these things. So we are creating one day retreats and then a three month program. Um, So you can check out Coven Collective if you are a woman or femme identifying person, person impacted by the femme experience. Um, We are super excited and super curious about co-creating this experiment of what would it be like to be super boundary super request making super strength leaning super inflow humans and to create a container that doesn't have all these boundaries this um not boundaries these uh limitations that we know that the the unfair world has so yeah i can't wait to connect with you all and jazz thank you so much for having us it's been so rich thank you so much i've loved this chat like honestly (laughs) i never knew i needed this so much (laughs) me too Oh, I love it. Magic happens when we get together and have open conversations about the real stuff um, because it's so easy to have this conversation with yourself and kind of think, okay, maybe it's just me that worries about this stuff or wishes um, things were a little bit different. So thank you both for sharing um, and joining in with this conversation. What an episode. Want to continue the conversation? Join the Limitless Letter to get weekly resources for your high-achieving career in a place where we all get what it means to embrace ambition and declare your desires. Go to justjazz.co forward slash join and I'll see you there.